thank you for clicking on this podcast, which is the eighth in a series we have called SB Redrafts. If you haven't listened to any of our earlier podcasts, the purpose of the series is for members of the SB Commercial Disputes team to chat over topics that regularly crop up and the things that we're dealing with business to business disputes. Today, we're going to be covering a subject that sometimes parties only think about at the end of the, the dispute process, but which parties should be thinking about much sooner and preferably at the beginning. And that is enforcement. My name is Catherine Penny. I'm a partner in SMB's dispute resolution team, and I'm joined by Elizabeth, who's an associate in the team. Hi there. Now then, um, to kick us off, the term enforcement can mean a number of different things in the disputes context, but in short, it's the process by which a successful party takes steps to realise a court judgment or arbitral award that's been made in its favour. Yeah, so effectively converting words into money. That's a good way of putting it. I like that. Now, before we get into the logistics of how to convert words into money, um, as I mentioned at the beginning, my top tip is to be thinking about this before a claimant launches into a claim. Is the opposing party good for the money or will pursuing them simply be good money after that? And there are ways of checking on the assets of your opponent if there is any doubt. And it's worth doing that at the beginning. Would you agree, Elizabeth? I definitely agree. Um, so we've been approached by overseas law firms um, in the past to enforce overseas judgments against individuals and companies in the UK. But we can always tell quite quickly that there's no money to pursue. And it's a real shame for clients to find that out only after they've gone through all the effort in pursuing it. So back to the logistics of enforcement, we're going to cover three specific issues in this podcast. Firstly, how a party goes about enforcing a UK court judgment within the UK. Secondly, how a party enforces a court judgment against a party based overseas. And thirdly, enforcing arbitral awards. Thanks, Elizabeth. And I think it's worth mentioning that in many situations, taking steps to enforce a court judgment or your arbitral award won't be necessary. Quite often, the other side just pay up. So actually having to take steps to enforce isn't an issue. But where the loser doesn't comply with a decision against it, you have to go after them for the money. That's another point that I've been asked by overseas lawyers and clients is, will the court take proactive steps to enforce the judgment? And the answer is no. It's down to the parties to do it if they want to pursue uh, enforcement of the order. Absolutely. And in terms of judgments made by courts in the UK, if a losing party doesn't pay by the date in the court order, the winning party can take certain actions to enforce the judgment debt. Um, so the um, winning party could issue a winding up petition where the debtor is a company or a bankruptcy petition where the debtor is an individual. And often the threat of insolvency proceedings is enough to get the debtor to pay up. Um, then we've got obtaining a writ of control from the court, allowing a bailiff to seize and sell goods owned by the debtor to realise the value of the judgment debt. This can be quite a slow process, but it is also high impact. Um, the winning party could also apply for a third party debt order. Uh, this allows them to obtain an order from the court that they're paid the judgment amount by a third party, such as a bank or an employer. So that last one is essentially the winning party bypasses 
the losing party and says, I'm not going to bother trying to get money from you because you're not paying me. I'm going to go to someone else who owes you money, such as your bank or your employer. And I'm going to ask them to pay me direct and, and cut you out of the middle, as it were. And another option is to apply for a charge over the debtor's interest in land or shares up to the value of the amount of the judgment debt. The creditor can then wait until the property is sold to get their money, since it can't be sold until any charges are cleared, or separately apply for a court order that the land is sold. The process of obtaining a final charging order and then an order for sale can take some time, so that option is by no means a quick fix, um, especially if either order is opposed by the debtor. And if the creditor isn't sure which option is most appropriate and needs further information about the debtor's assets, then it may be worth applying for an order to attend court. If an order is granted, the debtor will be required to attend court and give evidence on oath to answer questions detailing its financial position. And that's right. And getting someone to come into court and to swear on the Bible or, or whatever book they choose to swear on often sort of elevates it in their mind. And it can be an effective way to force them to engage in the process if they're refusing to. Um, they might just ignore it and they might not treat it with the severity it deserves. But um, if they fail to attend, they're then at risk of being in contempt of court, which is punishable by fine, imprisonment and confiscation of assets. So they should be taking it seriously and, and it can be an effective way to get them to wake up to the reality of what's going on. So those are the steps a party might take in the UK that Elizabeth has run through there. If you have a UK judgment and your debtor is overseas or has assets overseas that you'd like to enforce against, then the options available to you to do that will depend on local law advice. Uh, wherever the debtor or the assets are. So you need to find local lawyers who can help you with that. Um, but we'll just run through in broad terms what the what the situation will look like. Yes, yeah, so provided um, the proceedings were issued before Brexit, so that's on or before the 31st of December 2020, enforcement is pretty straightforward as there are a number of treaties you can rely on and you can use all of the usual in uh, English procedures mentioned earlier in this podcast. That's right, but I'm afraid things get a little bit more complicated if your um, proceedings against an EU party were issued after Brexit um, or if your opponent is somewhere else in the world. But it's not, it's not a disaster. We've got treaties with a number of countries around the world, including some of the EU countries, which make enforcement of judgment simpler. Uh, it's just that the local court may need to start the court process again. So this is why I'll say it again, it's important to seek advice about where you might go with your judgment before you start off down the track of suing someone. And it's important to think about enforcement at the time you're drafting your contract as well, as we mentioned in an earlier podcast in, um, in this series about jurisdiction, because you can uh, apply your mind to some drafting points at that very early stage um, to think about a situation where it might go wrong. And so finally, moving on to arbitration. Uh, when we talked about arbitration in an earlier podcast, we flagged that one of its advantages is that arbitral awards are, generally speaking, easier to enforce against parties around the world than a UK court judgment. Elizabeth, can you explain a little bit why that's the case? 
Yeah, so that's because at the time of this podcast, 172 countries have signed up to a convention to enforce arbitral awards. This is known as the New York Convention, um, or to give it its full title, the Convention on the Recognition and Enforcement of Foreign Arbitral Awards. The basic principle of the New York Convention is that, unless otherwise agreed, an award made by a tribunal under an arbitration agreement is final and binding on the parties. Now, if the award isn't honoured voluntarily by the losing party, the New York Convention provides a framework through which awards made in one country can be enforced through the national courts of where the losing party is based or holds assets. The actual procedure for enforcing through the national courts will vary from state to state. And therefore, once again, it's important to engage with lawyers based in the relevant jurisdiction so that they can guide you through the process. Thanks, Elizabeth. And as we mentioned in the podcast on arbitration, uh, one of the advantages over court litigation is easier enforcement. And that's one of the reasons why we advise clients who have an international customer base or supply chain to consider incorporating arbitration clauses and agreements into their commercial contracts at the outset. So I hope that uh, this quick canter through the topic of enforcement has been helpful. One key practical message uh, that I think listeners should take away is one that I've been harping on about, and that's to think about enforcement at an early stage, definitely before any dispute process is embarked on, and, and even better at the time a commercial contract is drafted. A phrase litigation lawyers love to use is Pyrrhic vi victory. Um, it's a waste of time to win a claim for money against someone who simply can't pay you. Um, and on that cheery note, uh, and we conclude this podcast series, if you'd like to catch up on any of the earlier um, episodes, then they are available. Uh, thank you for listening and goodbye.